0: Greetings and welcome to the writings of Soren Kierkegaard. I am Birkegaard. And today we are going to continue on the upbuilding discourse uh, that is based on this verse in Ephesians. It's uh, proving to be a, a very insightful, very insightful and uh very useful to um, to get into. So Ephesians uh three, thirteen to the end, strengthening of the inner person. Inner person, uh Sauron sort of gets into this today in a, in a way that's super helpful uh, spiritually, that he talks about adversity helping to strengthen the inner man or to developing strength for adversity because of being strengthened in the inner person or inner man in my case. Uh, but he also talks about how prosperity can uh, uh, be a challenge and how we have to be strengthened in the inner man uh, when we have prosperity. And, and most of us, to be fair, probably have um, a bit of both, or a lot of both. Uh, I think trouble comes to everybody, but we're also pretty blessed. I uh, I worry when uh, Americans in particular, uh, not all of my audience is from the States, but most of you are, you know, when we whine and complain uh, about our, our lot, and I'm not saying people don't have some legitimate reasons to be upset about things and this and that, but we are the most blessed uh, generation of all. Uh, in terms of our comfort, in terms of our prosperity, in terms of our wealth, in terms of our uh, consumer power. I mean, I, I don't know what else to say. Um, we, we, we feel sorry for ourselves sometimes, and I think uh, we need to uh, be thankful for our blessings. Ingratitude is a terrible, terrible thing. If we don't have gratitude, um, we are cursed. We are cursed by God, and even, even the stars curse us and the universe itself. Gratitude is the fairest blossom for which springs... <laughs> Let me try this again. I, I laugh when I mess up. I learned that from working with kids. Uh, if you try to hide it or you try to um, be serious, it doesn't work. Gratitude is the fairest blossom uh, which springs from the soul. That's Henry Ward Beecher. and I think he was the, uh, the father of Harriet Beecher Stowe, who wrote Uncle Tom's Cabin. If you haven't read that book, read it. It gets a bad rap sometimes, Uncle Tom. Uh, And I understand why. But uh, Uncle Tom's a strong character in that book. He's a Christian, but he's not a pushover. He's very strong. Uh, So I think uh, the book deserves a reading. It it was very influential in terms of uh, solidifying the uh, anti-slavery abolitionist forces in the North in particular. There were people in the South that were against slavery, too. Most of the Southerners didn't own slaves. That's the interesting thing. Uh, they were fighting to defend an institution that they themselves uh, didn't benefit from directly. I think there was some fears that if blacks are freed, that they would compete in the, in the marketplace and labor-wise for uh, for jobs and things like that. So the whites didn't like that idea. But they, a lot of whites in the South then enslaved. But they uh, they fought and died and bled and died uh, for an institution they themselves didn't um, benefit from directly. Um, Besides, you know, the uh, having blacks be on the, on the low end of the totem pole, so to speak, and Native Americans and things like that. Strengthening the inner being. But anyway, uh, yeah, we have to have gratitude for where we stand. And uh, it's easy to uh, trust in our prosperity, too. It's easy to think that we're gods on earth if we are prosperous and that we have money in the bank and have a nice car, a nice house, and nice clothes, all those things that previous generations would have struggled with uh currently with my uh, health situation with my uh, my cholesterol being very high my doctor's uh, taken some things off the list like sausage and cheese and bacon and uh things along those lines and uh the unfortunate thing is i have a lot of that stuff in my refrigerator and my freezer in both places and i can't throw it out my uh, german grandmother who lived through world war 1 <laughs> uh would slap me in the face uh maybe or at least chastise me uh, severely if I took uh, good food and threw it out into out the, out, out the trash can. My uh, doctor wants me to throw everything out, but I can't. Uh, my grandmother used to weep when she saw us throw food away or if we didn't eat everything on our plate because she grew up uh, during World War One where things were tough in Germany. And uh, she ate turnips for nine months. Uh, to survive, it's a root vegetable. I can store without a lot of... Uh, refrigeration, I guess. And uh, she loved turnips. I always thought she hated turnips because it reminded her of the war. My uh, my dad reminded me recently. Uh, no, she loved turnips and saved her life. I was the one that didn't like turnips. Okay, so strengthening the inner being. Only a thoughtless soul can let everything around it change. So I have to tell my doctor. I'm not throwing the food out. I'll just eat less of it. I'll, I'm going to eat it all. I'm just going to eat a slower amount. I'm not going to eat... Um, Like four sausage patties a day or something. Only a thoughtless soul can let everything around it change, give itself up as a willing prey to life's fickle, capricious changes without being alarmed by such a world, without being concerned for itself. How unworthy and nauseating such a life is. How far such a life is from witnessing to the human being's high destiny. To be the ruler of creation, so we are appointed by God to be kind of vice regents of creation. Uh, that's uh, that's a biblical idea. Doesn't mean we get to use and abuse uh, the environment and animals and all that stuff. We are to be uh, to be kind and merciful. Uh, also, uh, not unrealistic in terms of how we do things. Um, I believe that you can eat meat, for example. Uh, it's a good source of protein, but we should be uh, should be uh, humane in terms of how we process that. Uh, animals do have consciousness and they do feel pain, so we have to be sensitive to that. Uh, if the human being is to rule, there then there must be an order uh, in the world. Otherwise, it would be mockery of him to assign him to control brute forces that obey no law. Now, I'll tell you where stress comes in. If you're a professional and you're working a job, or you're a blue-collar guy or whatever, and you're given a high degree of responsibility but no control. That is a recipe for burnout. You will you will blow up like a firecracker. Um, high responsibility, low control is a bad combination. And if you're told that you have to fix certain things but not given the tools to do so, or it's just not realistic, you're not going to get the tools regardless. It's not how reality works. Then you're in a bad position. And you can decide to persist in that, but it's going to be very, very stressful. And that's the way you get burned out think about what bur- what burning out means in terms of mechanical sense. It's like a car that who's run low in oil. The oil hasn't been changed, which means there's a lot of friction in the system. Uh, a burnout of, a, of a, a device that's overloaded. You wash the machine, you put in too much clothes and it burns the motor out. Uh, so high responsibility, low control. That is a recipe for for a ter- a terrible way to live. So someone's getting into that right now and if he is to rule then there must be a law with him also otherwise he would be incapable of ruling of ruling so god has given given us uh the capacity to rule either he would disturbingly interfere or it would be left to chance whether he ruled wisely or not uh, so it'd be very capricious i like that word capricious and if he if this were the case if this were the case then the human being would so far from being the ruler of creation that creation might wish instead that he did not exist at all. Therefore, just as soon as a person collects himself in a more understanding consideration of life, he seeks to assure himself of a coherence of everything, and as a ruler of creation he approaches it, as it were, with a question, extorts an explanation from it, demands a testimony. So we're to develop mastery as life continues. That's a, a skill, uh, a skill development it could be in a specific content area or uh, what's called soft skills, like show up on time and work hard and don't lie. All those things. We're to develop mastery and control over things, not to be a control freak. There's a there's too fine a point. If you go too far, you wind up cutting into the bones. So you have to uh, have a plan, but you have to be flexible. The best trees in a storm are trees that bend a little bit. A, a tree that's too sturdy, too um, too structured, is going to crack in the wind. Uh, so it's good to have a strong root uh, system, but it's good to be flexible on top. You know, have have your principles, have your non-negotiable. That's like your roots. Uh, but then at the top, uh, be willing to bend a bit, and uh, you're not always going to get your way. And decide which uh, battles you're going to fight, right? Uh, don't fight every battle. You don't have to attend every uh, every battle you're invited to. Only a person who has banded his soul to worldly appetites who has chosen the glittering bondage of pleasure. And that's true. The glittering bondage of pleasure. Think about it. It's glittering, all right. But there's there are chains in pleasure. There are chains in uh and ropes, and shackles, and pleasure. Anyone who lives for pleasure will soon burn their brain out and their soul out uh, with uh, dissipation because the human being has a hard time understanding uh, balance. Uh, If you live for pleasure, it becomes your idol, then you want as much of it as you can get. And you will wind up, uh, using that word again, burning yourself out and has not managed to extricate himself from its light-mindedness or heavy spirit anxiety. Now, these two things go together. A person who's very pleasure-oriented and wants pleasure out of everything. And pleasure is fine within its context. Uh, I think Soren is realistic about this. This pleasure is something that's instituted by God. Uh, last night, I cooked up a squash with some olive oil and some uh, garlic powder and three different peppers from my garden and uh it was actually and threw a little bit of sausage in that's a no-no for my doctor but a little bit of sausage not a lot to kind of uh flavor the dish that's how asians tend to use meat uh my ex-wife was taiwanese american so the asian way is to use meat to season a dish not to make it a like, the idea of eating a whole steak and that culture is is not something that they would have done they tend to be a little bit lighter on the protein which isn't always good Uh, But, you know, slice the steak up and use it five times in five different dishes uh, and bring the steak into uh, providing flavor uh, for, in that case, the squash or whatever else that you're making. It could be uh, rice or whatever. Um, But... uh, People who are in a in a party mindset, a pleasure mindset, they can be light minded for a while, but their conscience is starting to bother them if they uh, if they have one and I think people can give up on that, not feed their conscience and starve it, or heavy spirit anxiety, so it's an irony that people that live for the party and live for the pleasure. Uh, can also be very heavy-spirited and anxious. Uh, These two things tend to go hand-in-hand, and then they need more of that addiction to take away the the encroaching feelings that something is not right. Only he is satisfied to let the creation bear its witness so that he can truly uh, and prudently use it to the service of the moment. There's people that game the system, uh, the game how reality is constructed to extract pleasure uh, continuously. It's usually pretty short term. It leads to addiction, like I said. And since the human being is the ruler of creation, and obeys even the unworthy authority. How doleful. Oh, doleful. <laughs> How doleful. Has nothing to do with fruit. Uh, like dull, dull bananas or whatever. How doleful uh, is such a, a perdition that does not even think it is living thoughtlessly, but instead thinks that it understands everything. Oh, that person's in trouble. If they think that, oh, reality is just waiting to smack them around. And in its heart's aberration thinks it's turning everything to its advantage. When he sees the red sunset in the evening, he says, tomorrow will be a beautiful day. But when he sees the early morning sky, red and darkening, he says, today there will be a storm. And that comes from a, a story that Jesus tells, that the men of his generation could tell the weather, but they couldn't tell the sign of the times that the Messiah has shown up. It was right in front of them. Uh, so they could read the signs of uh, the sky, but miss miss God right in front of them. Um, so today there will be a storm, for he knows how to judge the sky, the weather, and the wind. Therefore, he says, today or tomorrow, I will go to this and this, this or that city, and stay there a year and bargain and reap profits. And that's from James, uh, the book of James. Uh, James is very hard on rich people because he he says, and this is true, if you're rich, you are going to have to really fight uh, the uh, complacency and the presumption that comes with profits and money. You start, you start thinking that you have more power than you do. When he cultivates uh, his soil intelligently, he counts on a rich yield. Uh, his eyes gleam at the sight of the rich cro- crops, uh, which he may have thoughtlessly called the blessed fruit. He hastily builds his barns larger. Uh, again, this is from James. Uh, and uh, uh, I think Jesus also talks about this with building larger barns. Since it is easy to predict the that the old ones cannot hold or hold the abundance, then he is secure and happy, praises, ex- his, praises existence, and goes to bed. And then the text reads, this night I will require your soul from you. Um, so the person thinks they have it all figured out, but they don't realize that they're going to have to make an accounting to God in eternity that night because their life is going to be taken from them. Uh, so that uh, this night I will require your soul from you. I have to look up. That's 162. I think Jesus says this. I know James says something along these lines too, but I just want to make sure that I have this correctly. That's Luke twelve sixteen twenty-one. 21. So that is Jesus saying... That you know, uh, don't put your, uh, don't put your faith in, in your wealth because it's going to, it's going to disappear. Uh, life is a vapor, James says. So that is from Jesus. But James being uh, Jesus, uh, Jesus' younger brother would, um, would follow in that train of thinking also about uh, go going to such and such a city and uh, today or tomorrow and all that stuff. And I always feel pretty, um, pretty hesitant when I make plans with somebody and say, I'll see you in two weeks. I don't know if I'll see him in two weeks. I might go through a car windshield. I might have a heart attack. I might eat too much bacon, you know, and whatever. My doctor would say, I told you so. I died with bacon in my mouth. I died a happy man. This night I will require soul from you. So that is from Jesus, his soul from him. It's not, a, not asking too much. I wonder if he would understand it. You know, the fact the person's not even thinking about their soul is, is a problem, of course. Nothing is said of the rich crops or the newly erected barns. But what is what is mentioned is perhaps something he forgot in all of this, he, that he has a soul. We have eternity within us. And anyone who just lives for this world is going to be very shallow and uh, not have the depth of character and development. Because uh, once you realize that you're eternal, and this is a long game that we're in, uh, then you start making decisions differently. And your horizon widens quite a bit. Uh, but the person who reflects on life with any earnestness at all readily perceives that he is not the Lord in such a way that he is not also a servant uh, that he is not his superior intelligence that it is not his superior intelligence alone that distinguishes man from the animals. Our intelligence certainly makes us uh, qualitatively and quantitatively different than the animals, but it's not the only thing. We're the only creatures that God made that is called to be made in his image, which I always seem to think is kind of a a reflection of the eternal nature that we have. Let me read this again, just to make sure I do it clearly. Um, But the person who reflects on life with any earnestness at all readily perceives that he is not the Lord in such a way that he is not also a servant That it is not his superior intelligence alone that distinguishes man from the animals. I always wonder what Soren would um, be like if he lived in our day, uh, 21st century. I think he would still be faithful because God already had him. Uh, I don't think he'd be seduced by the the idols that we have. Uh, I think he would probably be more concerned now than he was back then. We have the bomb now. We can literally obliterate ourselves uh, from the planet and eliminate all life or close to all life. Maybe the cockroaches will survive, um, but I think Soren would be very distressed about our current situation, the lack of depth, the lack of um, passion for God. Um, It's not to say it's completely done, but uh, things have not necessarily improved since the time he was writing. Only the person who cravenly runs away from ever every more profound explanation, who does not have the courage to assume the responsibility of the master by submitting to the obligation of a servant, who does not have the humility to be willing to obey in order to learn how to rule. Now, this is kind of leadership 101. Uh, this is a principle in leadership. If you don't, if you don't know how to obey, you're not going to rule. That's just the way it goes. Now, there are people that buck that. I think Trump does. I think he has enough money that he can hire toadies to do his dirty work, and then when the toadies screw up or he winds up getting uh, in trouble, Trump gets in trouble, he lets his toadies take the hit. So if you have enough money, you can can get around the end sometimes, or if you have enough power, if you're like a mob guy or something. But a true a person that's really going to transform people and tr- makes the world better, if they want to be a, le- a leader, the first principle is they have to know how to. Um, they need to know how to obey. They need to know how to obey, not necessarily the crowd, but they need to know how to obey. They need to be able to be taught in order to learn how to rule. It's a paradox, but Jesus says the same thing. He says the greatest among you should be a servant, and at all times, and the servant leadership thing is kind of a used and abused in secular. And secular thinking these days um it really goes to the scriptures you have to know the scriptural reference there in order to make sense of it willing to obey in order to you have to be willing to obey in order to learn how to rule and at all times is willing to rule always insofar as he himself obeys and we have to obey god first of all only he fills time with uh, only he fills time with perpetual deliberations that take him nowhere but only to serve as a dissipation in which his soul his capacity for comprehending and willing to uh, willing vanishes like the mist uh, only he fills time with personal uh, perpetual deliberations that take him nowhere but only serve as a dissipation in which his soul his capacity for comprehending and willing willing vanishes like the mist so dissipation is a scriptural term it means somebody that come to, uh, it's almost like a balloon that was full like pride is this huge balloon but it's very uh, it's easy to be punctured and it's easy to draw uh, the volume out of it dissipations are running down it is extinguished like a flame how doleful, uses that word again at least the Hongs use that in translation how doleful is such a self-consuming how far from witnessing for, by his life from giving expression and Uh, his life to a human being's exalted destiny to be God's co-worker. Uh, So the person who thinks they're all that sitting on top of the pile often has a hard time being humble and certainly doesn't see God as their superior. Um, Through every, uh, every deeper reflection that makes him older than the moment and lets him grasp the eternal, a person assures himself that he has an actual relation to a world that And that consequently, this relation cannot be mere knowledge about this world and about himself as a part of it, since such knowledge is no relation simply because in this knowledge, he himself is indifferent towards the world, and the world is indifferent uh, through his knowledge of it. Not until the moment when there awakens in his soul concern about what the meaning of the world has for him, And he for the world about what meaning everything within him by which he himself belongs to the world has for him and he therein for the world only then does the inner being announce its present its presence in this concern so that that uh, flame of eternity that that recollection or that remembrance and that reminder and that echo of eden that we have a destiny in god <clears throat> that inner person is is what um, Soren's talking about the inner versus the outer, and this is important. It's important that flame that flame gets stoked that eternal nature. Uh, this co- concern is not calmed <clears throat> by a more detailed or a more comprehensive knowledge. And that Danish word is viden, v i d e n. So Soren's not a believer in just knowledge alone. Uh, it craves another type of knowledge a knowledge that does not remain as knowledge for a single moment but is transformed into action the moment it is possessed since otherwise it is not possessed this concern also craves an explanation, a witness and the uh, Danish word is uh, I'm not going to even try to pronounce this because I'm going to totally destroy it V-I-D-N-E-S-B-Y-R-D. I did a little bit of research about the Hongs who did the translation of all of Soren's work, most of his work, and to, from Danish to English. This Howard Hong was a uh, philosophy professor at St. Olaf College, and his wife Edna was a person that helped him a lot with the translation. And they were not uh, Danish people uh, originally. I think uh, Howard Hong uh, went to... Uh, Copenhagen for some kind of uh, some kind of program or something but they they learned uh, they learned uh, Danish and translation I think uh, by just studying and uh, being over overseas but they weren't native born I don't think but I, I could be wrong about that. Uh, Edna seemed to be very very important for the translation piece. It's hard to believe they did so much uh, they did so much translation in a lifetime. They both lived into their 90s. Howard Hong retired as a professor after 40 years. So he still had about 25 years to do this translation with his wife, but they apparently had a really happy marriage and um, you know kids that were prospered and all that kind of stuff. So I did a little bit of looking into it. Somebody asked me a question about that. This concern also uh, craves an explanation of witness, which is that Danish word I just spelled out, but of another kind. If in this his knowledge a person could know everything but knew nothing of the relation of this knowledge to himself, then his effort to assure himself of the relations of his knowledge to the object probably would have demanded a witness but he would not have comprehended that a completely different witness is required and then the concern would still have not have awakened his soul so the soul has to be awakened that's what Soren's really hammering away at i know it's very dense here soul has to be awakened as soon As this this awakens, his knowledge will prove to be comfortless, because all knowledge in which a person vanishes from himself, just as any explanation provided by knowledge of this kind is equivocal, explains now this and now that, and can mean the opposite, just as any witness of this kind, precisely when when it witnesses, is full of deceit and riddles, and only engenders anxiety." how indeed would a person through this knowledge be sure that his prosperity is god's grace so that he dares to rejoice in it and safely devotes himself to it or that it is god's wrath and only deceitfully is only deceitfully hiding the abyss of perdition from him so that his downfall might be all the more terrible that's a scripture verse right there how would a person through this knowledge be sure that, adversities is heaven, that adversity is heaven's punishment so that he can allow himself to become crushed by it or that it is God's love which loves him in this ordeal so that he, dauntless and confident in the distress of temptations, may reflect, reflect upon love? How would a person through such knowledge be sure That he was placed high in the world and entrusted with uh, much more because in him God loved his chosen instrument. (laughs) So this this is some complicated stuff, man. Uh, It's hard to read, so it's even harder to understand. But my take on it is that until the person has that inner fire going strongly like a fireplace with a lot of wood in it, they're not going to understand uh, either adversity or prosperity. Both will harm him or her because they're not, they're not centered properly. The foundation's not correct. All that stuff is sitting on top of uh, a weak foundation. But when that furnace of eternity is burning, that, that the person's eyesight sees through things and has the clarity and the brightness and the heat to burn through all the things that are deceptive and misleading then only then can they truly bear under adversity or bear under prosperity. Prosperity can be a challenge. It can be a cross in itself. You see a lot of people that are very prosperous that um, that don't have strong souls because they've always gotten everything they wanted the way they wanted it. And that's, uh, that's another word for still remaining a child or a grown-up who has uh, not matured properly. How would such a person through such knowledge be sure that he was placed high in the world and entrusted with much because in him God loved his chosen instrument or it was because he was supposed to become a proverb to people, a warning, a terror to others? His knowledge can certainly assure him that everything is going well for him, that everything accommodates itself to him, that everything happens as he wishes, that everything he points to is given to him, that everything uh, goes wrong for him that everything fails, that every horror he is apprehensive about comes upon him the very right next moment. That he is more highly he is more highly trusted than anyone else. But more this knowledge cannot teach him, and this explanation is extremely equivocal and this knowledge is extremely comfortless. Ooh. So Soren's just really cutting cutting through all the all the nonsense here and getting right to the heart of the matter. In this concern, the inner uh, being announces itself and craves an explanation, a witness that explains the meaning of everything for it, for it in its own meaning by explaining in, in, the, in the God who holds everything together in, in his eternal wisdom <laughs> and who, is assi- who assigned man to be Lord of creation by his becoming God's servant and explains himself to him by making him his co-worker. Uh, through every explanation that he gives a person that he strengthens and confirms in the inner being. In this concern, the inner being announces itself. The inner being that is concerned not about the whole world, but only about God and about itself, about the explanation that makes the relation understandable to it, and about the witness that confirms it in this relation. At no moment does this concern cease. The knowledge gained is not an indifferent knowledge. For example, if a person were to have in mind mind deciding this matter once and for all, and then being finished with it, so to speak, the inner uh, being would only uh, be stillborn, it would vanish again. But if he is uh, truly concerned, then through God, everything would serve uh, for strengthening the inner being, which is the uh, point of that verse in Ephesians, to be strengthened in the inner being. Uh, because uh, God is faithful and does not leave himself without a witness. <clears throat> God always has a witness in every generation. It may not be many, but there's always a remnant. But God is spirit and therefore cannot, uh, can give a witness only in the spirit. It is in the inner being. Any external witness from God, if such a thing could be thought of, can just as well be a deception. Now, Jesus was an external witness. He, uh, he came into the world, and the world did not accept him as, as, as its own. Uh, but the world was created through Jesus, through the Word. Um, so even when God became incarnate, he came before us and came before us and did, did acts of uh, justice and mercy and miracles and all those things and spoke truth, uh, humanity put him on a cross. Uh, so never believe the lie that human beings are entirely good. We're a mixed bag. We have we have a lot of both, uh, both good and evil inside of us. So we're coming up on 30 minutes, a little bit beyond 30 minutes. I'm going to try to do two more pages here. This is a long read. Now, I can see like 99% of the people out there, if they were exposed to this reading. I'm not saying my, my, my reading of it is perfect or that I should be a developer of audiobooks or anything. But if they read over this, or somebody that was really skilled read all this stuff over that I just did, I think 99 people out of 100 would think it's absolute nonsense. They would be like, this guy's this guy's a nutcase, or he's just awful and uh, nonsensical. But those who are called, uh, when you hear these words, you hear something ring inside your soul. You, you hear a, a coordination and a coalescence of the, of this truth. So we take a deep breath. I'm on page 88 of 18 Upbuilding Discourses. Here we go. Then uh, prosperity will serve such a person for strengthening in his inner being. We frequently hear people say that life is very deceitful. And however different individuals' hopes and desires may be, a good many agree that the beautiful demand of the expectations is never fulfilled, even though all too many first deceive themselves by seeking consolation in the fancy that once upon a time... They did in truth nourish great expectations. Then they complain about the world that is a land of wretchedness, about time, that is a hard toil and futile inconvenience that a futile inconvenience that brings a person no closer to his goal but takes him further and further away, about people that they are faithless or at least lazy, lukewarm and selfish about themselves. They that they, like everything else in life, do not turn out to be what they once thought they were. "...about the whole order of things here on earth, that every empty and external affair prospers, that the deed that is mighty and verbiage is crowned, uh, the sentiment whose potency consists in platitude is praised, the distress that proves itself by screaming finds sympathy, but the honest effort wins nothing but ingratitude and a lack of appreciation." that quiet inward feeling uh, means nothing but misunderstanding and deep solitary grief meets nothing but abuse seldom is heard a more earnest voice that enjoins everything everyone to be open to life schooling and to allow oneself to be brought up in the school of adversity. a tested discourse that with all emphasis ask is it is it the rich is it the rich who are to be saved is it the mighty who walk the narrow way Is it the happy who deny themselves? It is the learned and wise who accept the scorn truth. Um, So Soren's answering those rhetorical questions with a no, of course, usually. This this discourse, however, is ignored, but the complaint continues to to sound. Not only that the single individual has adversity in his life, but that all life is nothing but adversity and that it makes all existence a dark, saying that no one can understand. So that's the uh, that's the piece on adversity here. So now we're going to go into prosperity and see how awakening the inner person helps with that. Uh thank you for sticking with me. This is this is um this is uh this is a lot of meat here. Uh, meat is used in the scriptures as meaning very um like a if uh, a teaching is, has a lot of meat in it, it has a lot of uh, content. Uh, rather than milk, which is kind of liquidy and, and more uh, more for babes. Uh, but prosperity is easy to understand, and yet uh, Job was an old man. And the next uh, up-building discourse is about Job, so uh, Soren's tying this into the next uh, uh building discourse that's coming. But prosperity, it is easy to understand, and yet Job was an old man and had grown old in the fear of God. He offered a burnt offering for each of his children whenever he went to a banquet. But prosperity is easy to understand, and yet even the fortunate person cannot understand it himself. Look at him, that lucky one whom uh, good fortune delighted to indulge in everything. He does not work, and yet he is a Solomon in his magnificence. His life is a dance. His thought is intoxicated with wishful dreaming, and every dream is fulfilled. His eyes are satiated more swiftly than they crave. His heart conceals no secret desire. His hankering has learned to recognize no boundary. But if you were to ask him where it all comes from, he would probably answer light-mindedly. I myself do not know. Being light-minded, he probably would even be amused by his answer as a joke, quite in keeping with everything else. But he would not comprehend or even suspect what he actually said and how he passed judgment on himself. The civil authorities see to it that everyone keeps what legitimately belongs to him. Now, this isn't a society that has the rule of law. I can't say that about every society or civilization. When, they, Like Russia right now, it's a kleptocracy. Uh, when they find a person who abundantly belongs to him, when they find a person who abundance and wealth astonishes everyone, they demand from him an explanation of the source. But if he cannot explain it, he is suspected of not having it, obtained it by honest means. Of not being a legitimate, not being in legitimate possession of it, perhaps a thief. Human justice is only very imp- a very imperfect semblance of divine justice. Now, this is an important point. Uh, the reason why we need to have a just society is that it gives people confident that there is a justice that exists in, in the world and also in eternity. When governments are not run well when you run an unjust system people start to question whether there's a god or not so human justice is very very important but it is imper- it is an imp- imperfect semblance of the divine justice it keeps a watchful eye on every human being if a person in reply to its question as to the source of all has no other answer that he himself does not know then it judges him then it turns out to be uh <clears throat> to cast suspicion on him that he is not in legitimate possession of it. Uh, This suspicion is not a servant of justice, but is justice itself. Uh, It is is this that accuses and judges and pronounces the sentence on him and guards his soul in prison so it does not escape. Now, some people think that they are the source of all their prosperity, that they are self-made people. Uh, So that's another form of arrogance. What then is required of the fortunate person? What else uh, but a strengthening of the inner being? But he has no concern, no inner being, if he has ever existed. It has vanished and was blotted out. If it has ever existed, it has vanished. It had vanished and was blotted out. But the person in whose soul the inner being announces itself in that concern does not become happy when good fortune indulges him in everything. He is invaded by a secret horror Of the power that is bent on capriciously uh, squandering everything in this way it makes us anxious about being involved with it it seems as if it return if in return it demanded of him something so terrible that he scarcely has a name for the anxiety over it he would receive with thankfulness a much smaller portion if he might only know from whom it comes but this is what The concern within him him craves this explanation, this witness. If he were placed on top of a mountain to gaze over all the kingdoms and countries of the world and was told, this is all yours, he would first want to know who had put him there, whom he was to thank. But if good fortune nevertheless goes on persecuting him, as he uh, might say, his concern becomes greater and greater. But as concern grows, his soul gains uh, strengthening, in the inner being. In this way, prosperity would become for him an occasion uh, for concern to increase. And in this way, prosperity would serve him for strengthening in the inner being because he possesses the whole world and, thanks God, is strengthened in the inner being. Then he would rejoice in another way that the fortunate fortunate person, person does because he who has the whole world and is as one who does not have it has the whole world. Otherwise, he is possessed by the world. Then he rejoices in all the good gifts, but he rejoices even more in in God and with God who gave them. So I'm going to conclude on that today. Uh, So prosperity, the fear of success. Uh, I think we can fear adversity rightly. It's concerning to be uh, on the losing end of life where you start getting thrashed about and kicked about. Uh, trampled by geese, as uh, trampled to death by geese, as uh, Soren said, in his own way of being persecuted in Copenhagen. But we should also be uh, fearful of prosperity that can make us numb and deaf to the concerns of others. It can make us numb and deaf and uh, unfeeling, make us moral lepers, I suppose, uh, to the concerns of God. And so, the person that has been awake, awoken in their inner being can have prosperity and uh, have it have it rightly and be fearful of it. Uh, If you're not fearful of prosperity, you need to take a deep breath and think about what it could mean. Think about all the people that had dreams and goals to become something big, like a musician, or a comedian, or an actor, or a politician, or a business person. And then they became big, and they proceeded to blow it all because they got ever confident, that they stopped listening, that they stopped learning, and they stopped um, maturing as a person. It became uh, hard and callow and um we should fear success we should fear uh, adversity to a degree and we should also fear prosperity so think about that and ponder that but we should be strengthened in the inner being regardless and then god can give us the um the grace and the strength to handle both